Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, PA. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This talk continues week eight of our series, The Story. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Well, the next chapter in the saga of God's construction of a nation begins with a happy moment. We love happy moments, don't we? We sure do. Happy moments just make us happy. And we get to experience a happy moment today because Scripture talks to us about a woman. Her name is Hannah. And Hannah was not able to have children. She just wasn't able to do that. But it is the very thing that she wanted. And so what we discover as we continue in the story is that here is Hannah pouring her heart out to God and crying and praying and asking for God to give her a child. This is the only thing that she wanted. This was her greatest desire in life just to have a baby. Well, God heard her cries. God saw her pain. And he knew what was happening in her life and God provided He answered her prayers, and God gave Hannah a baby boy. She appropriately named him Samuel, which means heard by God. See, Hannah knew God heard me. He heard my cries. He heard my prayers. He saw my condition, and God answered. And so I'm going to name this little baby boy Samuel because I know that I have been heard by God. And there is great joy in the story. Well, when Samuel was approximately 12 years of age, Hannah brings him back to the temple, to the very place where she had passionately asked for a child. And she does something that's very fascinating. She actually gives Samuel back to God, and she wants him to be trained for ministry by Eli the priest. He was the one who was functioning in the temple. He was the one who was the spiritual leader at that time. And so the baby that she had longed for, she finally got. She raises him for a bit. She takes him back to the very place where she cried out to God. And she gives him to Eli. And we have this conversation recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here's what it says. Sir, she's speaking to Eli. Do you remember me? I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. Now, this is so much more than a feel-good story. Although it is a feel-good story, there's a lot of good feelings and joy that is really poured into this situation here. But this is so much more than just another feel-good story. This is God raising up a young little boy to help his people during a very difficult time. And that's exactly what happens to Samuel. He grows and matures under the tutelage of Eli, and he becomes a great leader. Samuel comes onto the scene in a time of disarray for God's people. They've been attacked twice by their enemies. 
known as the Philistines. Things are a mess, and there is a vacuum of leadership. There's no one leading at all. And it's into this situation and into these unique set of circumstances that God begins to use Samuel. Here's what we read in chapter 3, verse 19. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. Now, I think verse 19 is remarkable. And let's think about this for a moment. What if that were said about each and every one of us? Hey, what if that were said of you and of me, that we grew up and the Lord was with us and everything that we said proved to be reliable? That would be a great thing. And this is what we discover about Samuel. I love the word with. In the original language here, it means close. And so the indication here is that the Lord was close to Samuel. He was with him. And everybody saw it, and they just knew it. And so when you move into verse 20, it says, And all Israel, from Dan in the north, which was a territory there, to another territory in the south, known as Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. So here's Samuel. People get it. They just know God is close to him, and God is with Samuel. And from a territory up in the north to a territory down in the south in God's promised land, which experts tell us that's about 150 miles spread there as the bird flies. I don't even know what that means, but I just threw it in there. So we've got a a big territory here where everybody knows and understands God is with this guy. I mean, God is close And his words are reliable, and they knew that he was a prophet of the Lord. And this is where we pick up the story. If you're brand new to Valley Point, we're in a series right now called The Story. And what we're doing is we're looking at key events and key people in Scripture. So far, we've actually walked through the first eight books of the Bible. And we have seen creation... And then God creating a nation, and it's through this nation that God wants to show his love to the entire world. And so we've picked up on some incredible people who have done extraordinary things. Today we find ourselves in the book of 1 Samuel, and we'll be thinking about the life of this individual who God was with, and God was close to him, and everybody knew it. And everybody saw it. So let's think about Samuel for a few moments. Scholars tell us that Samuel was born in approximately 1100 BC. So we're marching toward the birth of Christ. Samuel obviously is before him in 1100 BC. Historically, 1 Samuel traces the transition of leadership in Israel from judges to kings, from a theocracy to a monarchy. Now, let's unpack that for a bit. Samuel is just an amazing transitional leader. And so what we find in the book is that there is a period where God's people are moving from the times of the judges to the times of the kings. And Samuel provides the bridge. He's the one that steps into this vacuum of leadership. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about the judges 
Specifically, we talked about Gideon and how God raised him up and he judged the people. He ruled over them. And there are many other judges that we didn't have time to discuss, like Samson and Deborah. And God raised up these men and women to lead his people. Well, we're now in a transition from the time of the judges to the times of the kings. We're not quite there. And again, Samuel is this wonderful transitional leader. And this is what God wants him to do. He helps move the people of God from a theocracy to a monarchy. Now, a theocracy is a form of government where God rules and God is in charge. But his people are quickly moving to a time where they will be ruled by kings. And again, Samuel provides this bridge for us. So it is a fast-moving narrative that gives a spiritual perspective on three very different personalities whose lives were interwoven. There's Samuel, the transitional leader, and then there's Saul, the first king of ancient Israel, and then there is David. We're going to talk about David next week. Today we're going to focus on Samuel, the transitional leader that helps God's people move from the times of the judges to a time of kings ruling over them. And we're going to specifically think about Saul, this very first king of Israel. So here's the other unique thing. And I love this. Like this is eye-opening and it helps the story just come to life because this is more than just a bunch of facts and figures and dates. So here it is. This is the first book to use the word Messiah. Now remember, this is the whole point of the story, right? Like from page one to the very ending, we're moving toward discovering and finding a rescuer and a redeemer. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10, we find the word anointed there. And that is the same word that is used of the Messiah. And so this is just a really key book in Scripture. We have a transitional leader. And it's the first time that we find the word Messiah used, a really important thing. So let's get into the upper story. Here's the big idea of what God is doing. And that is God's people are called to be different so we can project his love. We're going to think about this. God's people, those who have trusted in him, those who have embraced his leadership and forgiveness are called to be different. We just are. And the purpose for that is so that we can project his love. So if you have a Bible or a device, I would love for you to find 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is where we're going to hang out today. You can also scan the QR code in your program and that will bring up all of our scripture and all of our notes. 1 Samuel chapter 8. So while you're finding that, let me build a little context here. Samuel's the leader, and he's doing a great job. I mean, people know that God is close to him, and Samuel is having some victories. Things are looking pretty good. He ages, and nears retirement, He cashes in on his 403 whatever, and he begins the process of finding a home in Florida, right? Like the end is near. He's done his work. God has used him to transition the nation, and he now is looking to spend the last chapter of his life in a great place. But that's not exactly what happens. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. Here's what it says. As Samuel grew old... 
He appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father. For they were greedy for money, and they accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. You can picture this, can't you? In other words, they come to Samuel and say, Samuel, you've done a great job. You've really been amazing. And it's time for you to move on. It's time for you to enjoy your retirement years. But these sons of yours are clowns. And we need to move in a different direction here. Like, it's just not going to work. We're going to do something a little bit different here. And I'm sure that was tough news for Samuel to hear. I mean, nobody wants to know that their kids are clowns, but that's what he's told. And so here's what they say. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. We want a king. We want to move beyond prophets and judges. We're kind of done with that. We want to be like the people around us, and we need a king. Verse 6. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. And I want to pause there before we read on and say this. When we're displeased and when we're discouraged, when we're down and beat up, if we did a little more of this, we would probably begin to experience God's best. And I want to posit to you that when we experience displeasure, like what Samuel did, when you're hurt, when you take a punch to the gut, when life's not fair, when things are ugly, well, let's, let's go to the Lord for guidance. Let's do that. Here's verse 7. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. And ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. So do as they ask. But solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. And so Samuel says, all right, I got this. He goes to the people and he says, look, God says you can have a king. But here's the deal. If you have a king, he's going to tax the living daylights out of you. Because he's going to need your money in order to survive and in order to run programs. And that's just what he's going to do. And you need to know that and you need to be prepared for that. That's what's going to happen. That's the reality of a king. And he's going to take your daughters and he's going to take your sons and he's going to make them his servants. He's going to take your kids and send them off to war. This is what a king will do. And oh, along the way, you're probably going to have to watch some of his debates on TV. (laughs) (laughs) right like you're gonna have to deal with all of this and so on and so forth this is what Samuel said to the people if you want a king here's what's coming verse 19 but the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning even so we still want a king they said we want to be like all the nations around us and that is a really significant statement there in verse 20 We want to be like all the other nations around us. 
The reason it is significant is because God never designed them or intended for them to be like all the other nations. God wanted them to be different so that they could project his love. And so, in a way here, they are rejecting God and their uniqueness and his plan for them. Really significant statement. You know, in the lower story, all the other nations surrounding Israel had kings. That's what they had. That was normal. That was average. God's people were ruled by prophets and judges. But doesn't a king sound much more sophisticated? It really does. Honestly, if we're thinking out loud about it, it just sounds a whole lot better than a judge or a prophet. No, we have a king. That sounds great. Sounds warm and fuzzy. And all hail the king. And this is a wonderful thing. And this is really what we want. And well, what we discover as the story continues is that Samuel then goes out and he tries to find a king for them. So here's chapter 9, verse 1. They wanted a king. Samuel's on the lookout for a king. God said, go find him. Here's verse 1. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than everyone else in the land. And guess who becomes king? Tall, dark, and handsome, right? The good-looking guy. Hello, Disney, right? It's right here in 1 Samuel. This is exactly what happens. And Samuel anoints him. He becomes king. The people love it. And everything starts out pretty good. Again, keep in mind here, we're transitioning from the judges to a king. And Samuel finds this king. He is anointed. And everything starts out pretty good. As a matter of fact, the very first challenge that King Saul experienced was a group of enemies that were in a neighboring territory. And they came to him and said, look, Saul, here's the deal. We don't really like you. And we don't like your people. And we don't like your God. So we're going to invade, and we're going to find everybody and gouge out their right eye. This is our plan, and we're letting you know you can do what you think you can do to stop it, but you're not going to be able to. This is our plan. And so the people get all worried, and they come to Saul and say, wow, what are we going to do? And Saul thought about it, and I think in his mind he said, I kind of like my right eye. I do. I, I like that. And I think everybody else does too. So we're going to put together our own soldier team here and we're going to invade the enemy before they invade us and we're going to defeat them and that's what happens. And everybody is excited. Everybody gets to keep their right eye and everything is looking good. Ah, that's my only joke for today, all right? (laughs) Things are looking good. All right, but here's what we discover. And here's what we need to know about Saul. He didn't lead people in doing what Samuel asked them to do. So when you go to 1 Samuel chapter 12, you discover Saul has been established. Samuel now rolls out his retirement plan and he talks to the people and gives a swan song. And he says to them, look, here's the one thing I want for you guys. If you do anything else, please, 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 just do this one thing. And here it is. 
I just want you to obey God all of the time. Don't go halfway. Just go all out for God. And if you do that, you're going to be able to experience God's best. This is what I want you to do. Saul becomes king. Again, things look pretty good. But what we find is that Saul, as a king, as a leader, did not lead the nation in following Samuel's plan. He did not have a heart for obeying God. He just didn't. And it's a very sad story. As a matter of fact, what we discover is that he became characterized by mental imbalance, raging jealousy, and rationalizing his disobedience. That's Saul. That's the mark of his administration. And things really fall apart. He is marked by mental imbalance, raging jealousy, and an individual who began to rationalize his disobedience. Sounds like a great leader, eh? And here's the thing. Saul was king for 42 years. So he kind of had a long reign. He had a long stretch of leadership. And the people had to continually deal with his mental imbalance, his raging jealousy, and his ability to rationalize his disobedience. When you think about this, and as you peer in on this particular scenario, it would almost appear that the upper story of God building a nation to show his love to other people is in a lot of trouble. And we've got a cracked up nutcase as our very first king. If this is going this way, we're going to end up in a lot of trouble here. And it would just appear that God's upper story is in a lot of trouble. But it's actually not. Because God raises up another king who would take Saul's place, and it's through that king that the Messiah would come. His name is David, and we're going to talk all about him next week. So as we think about Saul and this transition of leadership, things look like they are in a lot of trouble, but God is still in control. And so as we move through this, and as you understand King Saul and his leadership and Samuel and what he's doing, I think the question is, what does this mean for us today? What about my story? There's the upper story of projecting God's love to others. There's the lower story of what happened here with Samuel and Saul and this devastating transition where Saul leads the people in a way that they didn't experience God's best. What does all this mean for me? What are some takeaways for me? Well, here are three thoughts. Number one, it's possible to rationalize disobedience with sophisticated sounding arguments. It's possible to do that. And we probably do it all of the time. Do you find yourself rationalizing disobedience with sophisticated sounding arguments? Don't raise your hand. But I know I do. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do this, and it's really easy to do. And it sounds like this. You know, God doesn't just get me. He he doesn't get me. He doesn't understand me and my unique set of circumstances. God might be seeing other people and might be working in their lives, but God doesn't get me. Or I know that I'm just going to feel a whole lot better if I step through this. And we allow our feelings to dictate our choices. And whenever we do that, we end up in a heap of trouble because that just doesn't work. 
Saul. He rationalized his disobedience with sophisticated sounding arguments. One of the things that Saul did at one point is he disobeyed a clear directive of God. After things were going okay for a bit, God came to him and said, I want you to do this. And so Saul began to implement the plan and he went most of the way in obeying God. And 90, 95% of the way towards obeying God. And he felt pretty good about that. Like we really accomplished quite a bit. But he didn't fully obey. He only obeyed a part of the way. And God knew it. Samuel knew it. So he confronts Saul and says, why have you only obeyed God part of the way? And King Saul responds and says, well, you know, I was really close, and I think all of this is going to work out. I obeyed most of the way. And Samuel looked at him and said, it doesn't work. That doesn't work. And because of your partial obedience, the throne will be taken from you and your entire family. It will not be passed on to them. God will raise up another king and another family to take your place because full obedience to God really matters. It's an important thing. It's possible to rationalize disobedience with sophisticated sounding arguments. Really easy to do. Secondly, God can take an unwise decision and still use it as long as we submit. And this is the good news in our story today. Because we've got this rationalizing disobedience and that never really works out. But the good news is that God can take our wrong turns and our bad choices. And as long as we submit to him and to his authority, he can use that situation to accomplish his purposes in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. And God does this because he is so patient with us, isn't he? God is so patient with me. I know this. I live it. And God is probably very patient with you as well. And this is good news. So if we submit, God can take our bad turn and our wrong choice and turn it around. So let me ask, have you made a bad choice recently? Have you taken a wrong turn in life for whatever reason? And and maybe you want to rationalize that. You know, God can take wrong choices and wrong turns and he can use that for his good when we submit. Now, what does that even mean? I think it means this. I think we have to own our mess. We've got to own our sin. God knows all about it and he likes when we acknowledge that to him. That's part of being honest and real with God. Often we want God to be real with us And we get frustrated when we sense that he isn't. Well, God is looking for us to be real with him. And that's our responsibility. So let's own our mess. Let's own our sin. Let's confess it. Let's say the same thing about it as God. Let's lay it at his feet. And then let's choose to do the next right thing. As difficult as that might be, as hard as that might be. See, when we submit, when we own it, when we confess it, And when we begin to do the next right thing, I think God can take that wrong turn and that bad choice and use it to accomplish things in our lives and in the lives of the people around us for good. And again, this is all based on the grace and the patience and the goodness of God. He's so good to us. 
much more than what we deserve. So just know, we don't have to hang out in rationalizing disobedience. God can turn our mess around, and he does it often in fabulous ways. Thirdly, God wants us to project him. He wants us to project him. And here's what I mean by that. We're not going to be like everyone else. Yeah, we're just not. As much as what we may want to be, we're not going to be like everybody else. If we have trusted in Jesus alone to save us, we are different. We respond to things in different ways. And we have new desires and new dreams and new goals. And often that runs counter a culture. And instead of running away from that, I think God wants us to lean into that tension. Because we're not like everybody else. If we've trusted in him, he wants us to project his love. Think about it this way. We are his letter of recommendation. Scripture says that about those who have believed, those who have trusted in him. We're actually his letter of recommendation. So if that's you, when people read your letter, what is it that they see? If we're a letter of recommendation, what are people reading when they look at us? All right, so three questions. I want us to think about this now. Is there an area in my life where I may be rationalizing disobedience to God? Maybe I'm getting good at it and sophisticated in my argument and explanation. I think we need to wrestle with this. Is there an area where I may be rationalizing disobedience? Secondly, If I have made an unwise choice, will I submit to God today so that he can work through me? And this is the beauty of what God does. It doesn't matter what's in my past. God doesn't want the past to eat my future. I can submit to him. I can own it, confess it, and begin the process of taking the next right step. And this is what God wants. And he can turn it all around for good and work through me. And then thirdly, am I projecting the love of God to others. As people see me and observe me and my language and my desires and my goals and how I respond to hurt and pain as well as how I respond to success in all of that mixture of life, am I projecting the love of God to others? It's a really powerful thing. So, let's not forget God's people are called to be different. We're called to be different so that we can project his love to others. Father, we're so thankful for the story we find here in the opening chapters of 1 Samuel. Just an inspiring book that outlines real people and real things that happen to them. God, we see Samuel responding to you and you raising him up to be a transitional kind of leader. God, we also see another king, Saul. And as you moved him into leadership, he did not have a heart for obeying you. He did not have a heart for leading God's people in the way that Samuel said would work where they would experience God's best. So God, I pray that you'd help us to think about these examples of Samuel and Saul. 
Help us not to rationalize disobedience in any kind of sophisticated way. Disobedience is disobedience, and it doesn't work. might work for a season, but long term, it doesn't work. So help us not to rationalize disobedience. God, I pray that you'd help us to submit to you, to own our mess, to confess that, and then find the next right thing and just chase that with everything. And we know when we do that, you will use everything that's happened to us to accomplish your purposes, and you can turn around bad situations quickly. And then, God, would you help me And would you help everyone in here today just to project your love as we walk out of here in a bit? And whether that's in our homes or in our schools tomorrow as students go back to school, whether that's in the communities in which we live or whether that's on Saturday as we go serve and love, God, would you just use all of us to project your love to be a tremendous letter of recommendation for your grace and your forgiveness and what community in God is like. We can share that with others. And when we do that, we know we're sharing your love for people to respond to. So God, use all of us. Help us not to walk out of here not desiring to do anything, but just whisper some things into our hearts right now that we would choose to take a next step and to use the story in our stories, to personalize it. Give us the courage and the bravery to do that and to walk out of here taking whatever steps are necessary so we can be right with you and experience your best. God, I lift this up to you now and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.